Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Dr. David Smith, who's chair of the BMA's GP Trainee Subcommittee about the union's current ballot of junior doctors on industrial action. In our conversation, David explains why the BMA is pushing for full pay restoration for junior doctors and the impact that falling levels of pay have had on the profession. We also talk about how the current ballot works and what happens if it's successful, what GP trainees need to know about taking industrial action, and how other GPs can support their junior doctor colleagues if they go on strike. I'm delighted to be joined now on the podcast by Dr. David Smith, who's chair of the BMA's GP trainee subcommittee and an academic GP trainee in Yorkshire. Thanks so much for joining us, David. No problem at all. Thank you. You're the chair of the BMA's GP trainee subcommittee. So that means you sit on both the BMA's GP committee and the junior doctors committee. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, the GP trainee committee of the BMA um, is one of the six constituent committees of of GPC. So there's GPC England, GPC Wales, GPC Scotland, GPC Northern Ireland, and GP Sessionals Committee, and then us, the GP Trainees Committee. And we're responsible for all issues related to doctors in training whilst they're engaged in primary medical services. So essentially, we look after all GP trainees whilst they're in their GP placements. So the reason we're talking today is about the the ballot on industrial action. So the BMA is currently balloting junior doctors on industrial action. You as a junior doctor and a member of the, the union, you're pushing for full pay restoration for junior doctors to bring them back in line with the salary that they were earning in 2008, 2009. So can you explain a bit more about what's actually happened to junior doctor pay over that period? Since 2008-2009, junior doctor take-home pay has fallen by about 26% in real terms. And that means that a junior doctor today is about a quarter worse off than they would have been doing the same job 15 years ago. A junior doctor is not worth a quarter less than they were in 2008. Um, So why should they be paid that amount less? We stand side by side with the rest of our junior doctor colleagues and and those members of uh, the junior doctors committee within the BMA in calling for full pay restoration to resolve that issue. You've been calling for it for quite a long time now, hasn't it? It's been over the last year or so and it's kind of fallen on deaf ears from the government, hasn't it? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we, we've set all kind of ultimatums. We've uh, put, you know, all sorts of offers on the table to allow the, the government to come and talk with us. And yes, they just haven't, there's been no progress whatsoever. And because we've not been allowed access to any other routes of dialogue with the government, we've now been left with no choice but to ballot our members for industrial action. There's another problem as well around pay, which particularly affects GP trainees, isn't it? And that's around the pay premium. What exactly is that problem and and how does that affect GP trainees? Before the junior doctor contract was imposed in England in 2016, um, the average GP trainee was paid approximately to the same level as the average hospital trainee. In 2016, the GP flexible pay premium, which is a a key part of, of GP trainee pay, was introduced and that was introduced to ensure that that pay parity between those two groups was maintained even after all the other changes that were brought in in 2016. However, due to a lack of data and ultimately the government underestimated the extra work that junior doctors have to undertake, the value of that pay premium was set too low. And this was something that the BMA identified in 2018 when we had a little bit more um, data from the government. And the government agreed with us that this was a problem and they actually agreed to address it back in 2019. So at the end of the previous pay dispute, one of the conditions for ending that dispute was that the government would sit down with us and and renegotiate the GP flexible pay premium with a mind to increasing it. So it was back in, in line with kind of those average wages that the average hospital trainee would receive. 
in the four years since making that commitment, um, the government has not held even a single negotiation meeting with us in the BMA. Therefore, we have this situation where we need full pay restoration for all junior doctors, as well as addressing the shortfall for GP training specifically. And is that part of the argument you're making to the government? Would this be part of the negotiations that the Junior Doctor Committee is involved in? It's really important that we achieve full pay restoration. You know, all doctors have lost around 26% of their pay and we want that fully restored. But clearly we can't have a situation where one group of doctors is punished for their speciality and ending worse off. The government have made a commitment already to addressing this issue with the GP flexible pay premium and we just need to hold them to account to it. Can you explain a bit about how that fall in pay is actually affecting junior doctors day to day and and maybe anything specific to GP trainees? On top of holding kind of tens of thousands of pounds of student debt from their medical degrees, and what a lot of people don't realise is that doctors have to self-fund a lot of their ongoing training. So they have to pay exam fees, licence to practice fees, Royal College membership, so the RCGP for, for GPs in particular, indemnity fees, and even car parking when they're at the hospitals where they work. And while doctors' pay has been drastically cut in real terms since 2008-2009, um, the associated costs of being a doctor in the NHS have all increased. So it's becoming more expensive while you have less savings to fall back on. Well, inflation's now running at above 10%. That's having a huge impact on junior doctor finances. Again, what's key to understand is that just because junior doctors are called junior doctors um, or, or junior trainees, um, these are not young, inexperienced doctors. Many are in their mid-30s and they have families to support. They're looking at their friends and former classmates in other professions and seeing that junior doctor wages and the quality of life experienced by junior doctors have stagnated in comparison. More broadly, this is leading to junior doctors um, actively considering leaving the NHS the UK or healthcare altogether. And we know that four in 10 junior doctors say that they will leave the NHS as soon as they can find another job. And around a third are looking to move to another country in the next year. And that's most likely going to be Australia or New Zealand. And more than half of GP trainees who responded to that particular survey strongly agreed that they often think about leaving the NHS with over three quarters giving the, the level of the current pay that they're experiencing as the key reason for giving those answers. We also know that GP trainees um, are already considering working less than nine sessions in general practice when they qualify, um, with nine sessions being the current definition of full-time in, in the model GP contract. So it's even more worrying that we might see uh, an element of these GPs, GP trainees, leave the profession altogether on top of those who are already opting to do less than nine uh, sessions. I'm aware in particular of uh, some LMCs who have conducted exit surveys of their GP trainees in their patches, and, and they report that the majority of GP trainees are leaving the NHS to go work in private practice once they complete their training. So GP trainees are currently finishing their training with two things, a certificate of completion of GP training and a sense that those in the NHS who are in charge of the NHS do not value GPs. And given this sense of being undervalued, it's no wonder that GP trainees are more ready to consider alternative employment when they finish their training. From our own surveys, we know that GP trainees say that they're feeling this, this sense of being undervalued, and this impacts their decision to do fewer sessions post-CCT. So by achieving full pay restoration, we are hoping that we're going to see more GPs increasing the number of sessions, of clinical sessions post-CCT. It's a real worry, isn't it? Because the whole point is that we already know that we're losing GPs at the top, you know, GPs who are really experienced because of burnout and things like that. And there was this kind of hope that we've got record numbers coming in at the bottom. But if even they're not going to work, then this, this has got a massive impact for the profession as a whole, not just junior doctors, doesn't it? 
Exactly. And it's like the like example of, of the bathtub, you know, it's, it's pointless kind of filling the bath up, you know, turning the taps on as, as much as you can, filling the, the profession with more and more medical students, more and more trainees. If you've got a big hole in the bottom of that bathtub where trainees are choosing to reduce their sessions once they see CT or even leaving the, the profession altogether, we need to really look at conditions that junior doctors are experiencing right now and we need to make them better. And, and the key way to do that is with full pay restoration. We need to value our trainees more and we need to ensure that the pay that they receive of an appropriate remuneration for the work that they do. And having a, over a 26% pay cut in real terms since 2008 doesn't say doesn't send the message that GP trainees are valued. One of the things you've touched on there is about student debt. And that is actually a massive problem now. I mean, I think doctors further along in their career might not realise fees have gone up a lot in recent years. And obviously, there's all the other costs that you were talking about. And the BMA did do a survey about the kind of financial pressures junior doctors are under just before Christmas. That talked a lot about junior doctors having to take on lots of personal debt on top of the student loan debt. You know, when it comes to student loans, how much of a junior doctor's salary is taken out straight away to go for paying back those loans before the junior doctor gets their actual pay? It does depend on, on what type of student loan you've got when you graduated and whether you've got a postgraduate or an undergraduate loan. But it can be a substantial amount. It can be anywhere between sort of 9 to, to 15%. But I mean, some junior doctors are leaving university with up to £100,000 worth of debt. And that's not just student loans, but personal loans, credit cards, and that's just to get them to the end of their degrees. And, and it doesn't stop there. And um, there's the ongoing expenses of training that a lot of people, again, who are who are not doctors, don't fully appreciate. So you know, everyone's feeling the, the pinch right now. But there are specific costs associated with training to be a fully qualified GP. Cost of exams, for example, um, you know, that's huge. And you know, and heaven forbid that we should fail to you know that first attempt and have to take it again. And those costs can increase and increase. And that's that's a real issue. And, but even then, when um, when you start working and you kind of get later on in your career as a junior doctor, you know, it's still really difficult to be paying off this debt. And, and we're contributing to that debt as, as time goes on. So three in 10 junior doctors told our survey that they've used their overdraft for consecutive months to pay bills. And a similar number, 27.7%, said that they'd not repaid um, their credit card borrowing for consecutive months. Um, to give you some kind of examples around things, uh, around student loans, um, we've done some reasonable estimates. We've, we've modeled some reasonable estimates about what would happen to a newly um, graduated doctor who finished medical school um, last year, in fact. Um, and we've presumed that they would graduate with a, a figure of around £70,000 in student loan. And that's actually a low estimate for many trainees. But if we use that figure of £70,000 in student loans and look at what would happen to that trainee over the course of, of their GP training, presuming that they just do five years run through training, um, they would have paid back over £8,000 pound in student loan during the course of their training, but the student loan itself overall would have actually increased by £10,000. And at no point during their training would they have ever earned enough to even cover the interest payments. And that's using an estimate of £70,000. Um, I've got doctors on my committee who have over £100,000 in student loan debt alone. Clearly, that's that's not sustainable. You know, it, that's not how we should be valuing our trainees for pay to have fallen so low that we now can't even cover the interest payments of, on student debt. And you know, that that's a real poor situation um, for our NHS and for our junior doctors. Around half of the, the those in that survey said that they needed to borrow money from friends and family in the last year, and that's not necessarily fresh graduates, but people with kind of five plus years of experience in the NHS. You know, people who are fairly qualified, fairly experienced in their work, and they're having to borrow money from friends and family. That's shameful. 
Um, and that shows just how low pay, pay has fallen in terms of, you know, in comparison with the cost of living now. Uh, nearly half of all those that um, responded to that survey as well said that they struggled to afford their rent or mortgage. And about half again said they're now having difficulties with their lighting and heating over the past year. And I'm sure that's something that we can all relate to. It's a really stressful job being a particular at the minute in the NHS. I just can't think it's very good for anybody, for doctors to be this worried about money on top of everything else. It can't be conducive to good well-being and also even good patient care if everybody's so stressed about work and then stressed about money on top of things. Exactly. You know, and, and, you know, we talked to a lot of trainees in, in the role of, of representing GP trainees across the UK, particularly in England. And one of the big factors that we're hearing is people are worried about childcare costs. Mm. You know, childcare costs are, are huge at the moment. And, you know, people want to come to work. They want to concentrate on the patients in front of them. They want to give as much of themselves as they can for, for those patients who come through the front door in order to give the best patient care and best patient experience that, that we can provide. And while you're trying to do that, but in the back of your mind, you've got how you're going to cover your childcare costs. You know, do you need to think about moving nurseries? You know, who's going to, you know, be, be looking after your children when, when you're, you know, trying to get to work? These kind of things will weigh really heavily on people's minds. And if you don't have the, the funds to cover those costs, you know, that, that's a, a real problem for a lot of our trainees. The BMA has been pushing the government for meetings and negotiations to reach some sort of agreement on a way forward. What's happened with that? Has the Health and Social Care Secretary met with anyone from the BMA? So there was a meeting with Steve Barclay a few weeks ago, and that was between uh, Steve Barclay and, and some senior BMA reps. I understand that that meeting was very polite and cordial and the health secretary was very much in listening mode. Um, but it's important to emphasise that there were no offers made. That, that was not a negotiation meeting. It's also important to emphasise that this is the first health secretary in, in history that has refused to meet with the BMA for such a long, protracted period of time. Um, the BMA has made it really clear that any talks about pay must include pay restoration and that the, those talks must be the first of many talks about how to do this for, for all doctors, uh, not just junior doctors. At present, uh, that meeting with uh, Steve Barclay alone is not enough for us to call off the ballot or any industrial action that will follow. And it's important to, again, emphasise that that meeting took place a few days after the ballot opened. And if opening the junior doctor's ballot opened the door to this long-awaited meeting with government, then we can only imagine what a yes vote in the ballot will, will enable us to do. Ultimately, the government has within its gift to prevent any strikes that may arise through a, a positive ballot by committing to full pay restoration, and we encourage them to do that. The ballot's underway now, and I, I noticed that the BMA is doing a real drive. It's really trying to emphasise people, make sure their details are up to date so they get their ballot papers and everything. When does the ballot close and when will we find out what the results are? The ballot closes on the 20th of February, and we would strongly encourage anybody who's going to vote to post their completed ballot by the 16th of February and at the latest. And that's to ensure that it gets to the BMA in time. Um, we really do need strength in numbers to win and to have the maximum influence. Um, we've seen what happens recently when, when low turnout dictates the results of ballots like these. So to clarify that, there was a, a law introduced by the government in, in 2016, which was shamelessly designed to curb the right of individuals to take industrial action. But now union ballots must have a turnout of at least 50%. So it's absolutely important that everybody who gets a ballot um, has their say and, and returns their ballot again by the 16th of February at the latest. So please do make sure to, to all junior doctors listening that you get your vote in on time. And if you're not yet a member um, of the BMA, if you join by the 8th of February, you will still be able to take part in the ballot and ensure we get a, a positive outcome. Once the ballot closes, uh, the results will be checked by the company that we hire to run the ballot and they'll provide the final results for us. And then we'll communicate that to everyone who's voted um, as soon as possible. And then with a public announcement that will likely come shortly afterwards.
it seems quite likely it might be a, a positive outcome. So if it is, how does taking industrial action or striking actually work in practice for GP trainees in particular? Because there are certain rules around where they can take industrial action. What's all that about? Yeah, there are some some nuances for, for those in, in general practice, uh, general practice trainees. Um, and it is different to, to other hospital doctors. So first of all, it's important to clarify that we will be sending out more detailed guidance um, out to LMCs and to um, individual GP trainees in due course. So please do keep an eye out for that. But in essence, GP trainees are, um, despite being employed by by their local trusts under kind of like a lead employer, uh, lead employer type arrangement, their workplace is actually their GP practice. And by law, you can only pick it outside your workplace. Of course, GP trainees probably won't want to pick it outside their practices, given the fact that, that our dispute is not with GP partners, but is with the government, because again, they've not funded the increases in wages that we need. And that's led to the 26% real terms falling our wages. And that's why we're you know championing um, full pay restoration. And also it's worth mentioning that you know, having one or two trainees stood outside their practices will probably have not, not so much impact. However, uh, GP trainees can join marches and demonstrations outside their local hospitals. Um, so there'll be picket lines at hospitals, but we're, we're also highly likely to see some big protests on the public land just outside of hospitals, kind of the entrances to car parks, things like that. Um, and we would really encourage um, GP trainees to attend those demonstrations and those protests on days of industrial action. So it's really important to say that GP trainees cannot go to a picket line. Um, a picket line and, and a protest at hospital will, will be different. If anyone's not quite clear on that, please do speak to the BMA, but we'll be directing people. But um, essentially, we'll be directing people, uh, GP trainees, to the protests that will be occurring kind of just, again, on the public land, just outside of, of, of hospitals and other kind of healthcare institutions up and down, down England. You would be entitled to take that action to attend those protests on on days where we will uh, we have announced industrial action will occur, and if that's part of your normal working day, again we would encourage you to take that industrial action and, and go to those protests on those days. We would strongly encourage you if you want to take industrial action not to be in your GP practices on those days. So the BMA has said that if junior doctors do vote for industrial action, then it's planning a three day walkout in March. So. Is there any details about how that would work or any information that we know already about how that would work? So all junior doctors in England will withdraw their labour for 72 hours straight, and that includes emergency care. Um, but in those instances, senior doctors will fill in the gaps to um, in, ensure patient safety is, is maintained. Um, for GP trainees, again, that will mean that they're not going to be in their surgery for those three days. And in GP trainees who are working in other settings, in hospital settings, again, they'll be advised that they're not going to be attending for, for those three days or nights over that 72-hour period. Again, it's really crucial to point out that this isn't action against GP partners or practices, but against the government. The other thing that's obviously people listening to this would be interested to know, I mean, how can GPs support junior doctors who take industrial action? Because it is quite important that the rest of the profession gets behind junior doctors, isn't it? Although GP trainees are super numerous, so they're, we're there to train and not to fill in the gaps of service provision. Um, you know, the, the effective and safe running of practices will not be dependent on the attendance of GP trainees. And we do make up a considerable element of the GP workforce. We make up about um, 20% or a fifth of, of GP trainees. So um, for our patients, when they go into practices, one in five of every doctor, uh, of every GPs that they see will be uh, a GP trainee. So they will, patients will experience some disruption to services on, on days of industrial action.
section. And so we'd ask that our senior colleagues will be um, prioritizing those patients who are most in need of urgent care. And obviously we'll have to be rearranging some routine appointments as well for patients. So we would ask our senior colleagues to support us around those issues. Other kind of more pragmatic uh, things that we, we would ask our senior colleagues to do a successful outcome from this industrial action will mean that um, medicine and general practice will be a more um, attractive career choice because obviously we'll have that increase in pay and we hope that opens doors for other doctors to have inc- discussions around increases in pay as well. And that will improve the ability for partners to recruit and retain staff. We were um, at the LMC England conference uh, at the end of last year and, and there was a motion there um, uh, around the solidarity with GP trainees in, in this area and that passed um, re- uh, resoundingly. And we also got a standing ovation as well, which was fantastic. And that shows kind of the level of support from um, our, our GP colleagues uh, across England. And I know within the BMA, GPC are considering ways which GPs can more actively support a trainees taking action. Um, but in the meantime, kind of simple things that would be really useful. So qualified GPs out there just having conversations with their trainees about their ideas and thoughts around industrial action and allowing people just simply to articulate that support and, and, and you know, telling our, your trainees that you're there and that you support them in, in taking this action would be incredibly useful. And um, also, if your trainees have any um, concerns that maybe you can't address, directing them to the BMA for more support on those topics would be incredibly useful. And then on days of industrial action, when we're, uh, we'll be stood outside the, those hospitals, as, as we've discussed, um, you know, sending food and hot drinks to the picket lines and demonstrations uh, will, will be really useful. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, hot drinks or food will be warmly received. You know, no one wants to uh, take industrial action. We would hope that the government see the the strength of, of the calls from the profession that they need to take action on, on pay for all doctors, but particularly for junior doctors. And we would hope that they come to the table and um, negotiate an increase in pay to achieve full pay restoration before any of that happens. But again, you know, the, the key message is for, for any GPs or GP trainees out there to, to discuss, um, G, you know, your your thoughts around industrial action and to show support for your colleagues around this, this obviously very important issue. Thank you very much much david thanks for being on the podcast no problem at all thanks well that's it for this week thanks so much for listening and thanks to david for speaking with me i'm back next week for our fortnightly news review but in the meantime don't forget you can access all the latest news affecting primary care and access a host of other resources and information on our website at gponline.com